We have hope. Hope that things can get better. And they will. All right, ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast, after quite a hiatus, welcome back to Bizzle's Daily Rebels, wherein I do full commentaries from now until the end of all of Star Wars Rebels, which wrapped up a few months ago. Uh, Really quickly, before I get started, I'm going to do sort of a reintroduction here because of the long hiatus. Normally, I'm just going to announce the episode, tell you uh, like a quick summary, and then take you right into the countdown. Um, But I wanted to talk for a couple minutes because it's been a while uh, about, you know, why uh, the long hiatus and my plans uh, for the future, which also include um, Clone Wars comments. Um, but if you just want to jump into the commentary, I probably I won't talk uh, longer than three to five minutes. Actually, I lied. It's more like 10 minutes. And you can just fast forward a little bit and get into the commentary. So, Bizzle, you might be asking yourself or me rhetorically, uh, why the long hiatus and what happened? Well, basically what happened was I was trying to get out as much as possible before season four, the final Rebel season came out in the fall, um, or I should say premiered in the fall. Uh, um, of course, I ran right into it, and then after watching, you know, the amazing some of the amazing episodes, um, I was like, okay, well, I want to do commentaries for season four, and then I can jump back to season one and so forth. Um, but then the Last Jedi happened, and we all know about the mixed reaction to the Last Jedi. Most of my contributors, uh, I uh, really loved it, especially the non-Star Wars, uh, hardcore Star Wars fans like Maddie G and Alistair and Britt from um, Australia. Uh, some of my st- I started also getting Star Wars guests um, from, you know, very well-established and well-listened to podcasts like Paul Herman um, and uh, from uh, uh, Canon, um, what's it called? Blaster Canon and Tim Jurassic, who I've had now had on three times, who's great from the Saga Continues. And now Paul has joined Kyle and Tim on the Saga Continues. And then, you know, Black Panther and then lead up to Infinity War and then the Star Wars stuff continued. I started doing podcasts with Simi Klimo. And so, you know, the Daily Rebels kind of took a back seat. Um, I also did not want to saturate um, the Bizzlecast listeners, you wonderful people, with uh, Rebels episode, and I'm still not sure exactly how I'm going to release this, because I don't want to start a new feed, but if you're not into Rebels, then I also, uh, well, I guess you wouldn't be listening to this, but for people who aren't into Rebels, I don't want to oversaturate it. So while I'm calling it Daily Rebels, I probably will only release one or two a week, now that Rebels is over, um, and so I'm jumping back to where I left off which is season one, episode nine or 10, depending on how you are counting. And this is a great episode to come back to because I love the spark of the rebellion, which is, you know, the intro, um, or sort of the movie that started, uh, uh, the, the series that, you know, double episode and it starts off a little slow. And then, you know, you have episode four, which is the first big Jedi episode, which is, you know, the, the quote unquote, uh, you know, saving or, or they think they're saving, uh, master Luminara turns out to be a trick we see kanan's great powers it's the first time he finally you know embraces his responsibility to train ezra and then the episodes are sort of up and down mostly 
good. I, I like season one more than most people. Um, and uh, the final few episodes, uh, we've got the Lando episode coming up, which will be interesting. I've mentioned, I mentioned when I did the commentaries last year that that was probably my least favorite Rebels episode. But having seen Solo a Star Wars story with the Donald Glover portrayal and now with Billy D confirmed coming back for an appearance of some sort in episode nine, it'll be inter- interesting to revisit that. But it's great to come back here in episode nine slash 10 and Path of the Jedi. And I'm going to get us into the countdown really quickly. Um, and again, I want to mention, I am going to try and have guests on um, to do a couple of the Rebels episodes, but um, Simi Klimo has sort of become one of, if not my main uh, Star Wars senior contributor, um, is extremely interested in doing uh, extensive Clone Wars commentary, which he's in the middle of watching right now. He's getting married, so it's actually going to be a few weeks before Simi's back, but then he will be on at least once a week and we'll probably mix up star wars news and then commentaries from non-star wars movies and then clone wars commentaries we'll we'll, we'll revisit this in a couple weeks and let you know the plan so most of these rebels will be me i'm trying to get tim to do a few with me if we can fit him in depending on the timing uh simi will probably do a couple um and we'll see if anyone else is interested um in joining me but this is something i really enjoy doing and since i'm going to be doing the clone wars uh with simi uh, now we're not going to be doing all the clone wars we're going to piss the pick the best two or three arcs from each season uh and uh, and go with that i think um i think rebels is much more consistent overall um even though most of the episodes sort of stand alone um and uh my final point here before we get into this amazing jedi episode well two final points one is you know the final few episodes of the season are the you know ezra thinks he's gonna find his parents which i'm not a huge fan of i've talked about in the previous daily rebels and i'll talk about more i'm not a huge fan of what his parents are and the obsession with it um i, I will tell you why when we get there uh, especially because you're like bizzle you love rogue one and you love the ursos but that, that's an exception um and uh, it's pretty good though you know the capture and torture of kanan and, and so forth and we will get there and of course the h- huge reveal at the end of season one um which is a certain uh <laughs> togruta woman that is well loved in the star wars community who, who has been fulcrum and the joining of the greater rebellion so this is the last main standalone episode other than the billy d episode um and i guess so the final point i want to make is i've realized having done commentaries now for all the star wars movies the original trilogy the prequel trilogy um and uh you know last jedi force awakens and rogue one now i've done i did um rogue one new hope and return of the jedi which basically i consider the original trilogy rogue one is even though it's new it fits as a piece um all with simi i did empire by myself but it very much fits in with simi and then of course i did the prequel movies um i guess all no i I did Attack of the Clones with Simi, and I did one and three with Jedi Geek Girl. I did the new movies, Force Awakens and Last Jedi with Jedi Geek Girl, all of which are great. Um, if you're wondering why we haven't had Jedi Geek Girl on, she has gotten very busy with her own podcast and work. Hopefully, we will have her on in the future. And it was just getting to be too much to do daily, uh, weekly podcasts. And, you know, we kind of, I think, burnt out a little bit. And I've discovered this before. It's, you know, it's better to take a break and, and, and revisit, you know, months down the road. Like, I, we, me and Natty G took 
took a break and now we're having great podcasts again. So hopefully that would be the case uh, with Jedi Geek Girl. But for now, Simi will, will be uh, carrying the baton in that area. Um, but what I was going to say was, having done all the original movies, I realized my love of Rogue One and Jin and Cassian and Leia as like my favorite characters. I'm a rebel guy. As much as I love Luke growing up and I'm a philosophy and religion nut, you know, and I do lo- especially love Kylo and Rey in the new movies is really my favorite part of the new movies and clearly what they're focusing on now with Luke in the picture as well. Um, but for whatever reason, I'm a rebel guy. But when it comes to the show Rebels, I'm really interested in the Jedi stuff. Even though the rebellion stuff with, you know, Sabine and Hera and everyone is great. Um, you know, I, I just think the Jedi episodes, especially when Ahsoka and Maul and so forth enter the pictures, uh, picture in the Inquisitors in season two and beyond, which we'll get to. Actually, I think the Inquisitors in this episode, the Grand Inquisitor, um, it, it's just, you know, it's just more interesting. And I've said before, and I'll start talking more about how I think of all the Padawan relationships, you know, Luke and Obi-Wan, Luke Yoda is classic, you know, obviously Anakin and Obi-Wan um, is uneven because of the writing of the prequels, and Ahsoka and Anakin are great um, in the Clone Wars, especially because it's sort of a two or three way um, uh, Padawan where Anakin is Obi-Wan's Padawan and Ahsoka is Anakin's Padawan, but Obi-Wan's kind of overseeing uh, you know that particular master padawan relationship so that's really cool but uh, you know usually ahsoka and anakin other than mortis and a few other arcs aren't necessarily together or, or even within episodes we're on the same mission they're not necessarily together kanan and ezra really have this this hybrid relationship that's part brother um father and part um i'm sorry son father and part um older brother younger brother i've described kanan as ezra's therapist um but also ezra is teaching kanan Kanan, um, as becomes clear as the series goes on. Um, and I think just because of all the time they have to develop and the fact that they're, you know, the two main characters um, in, in many ways, uh, you know, I, it just is the most interesting and well-developed Padawan-Master relationship to me by far. It also helps that Ezra, who seems annoying at first, really grows on you, or has grown on me at least. Um, and um, and I think, you know, he's actually not that annoying, but we just expect a character like him to be annoying, and he is a a little whiny in the first season or two um, and occasionally he gets whiny again you know I talked about how Sabine has you know one whiny episode in season one and then basically acts like a young adult um, but when the writing for Ezra is good you know he's kind of leading the team morally um, and he's just got such a great heart and, and when you add Kanan as a classic you know sort of uh, cowboy Jedi or whatever maverick Jedi it's just a fantastic relationship so okay I've gone on 10 minutes with the intro I totally lied about three to five minutes as I knew. So this is an amazing episode to jump back in, Path of the Jedi. I'm probably going to record uh, the final four episodes or so of this season and then release them over the next couple weeks. So I hope you enjoy it. And now we're going to get into the a quick explanation for the countdown and the countdown itself. So if you've been with me before, you know how this goes. I'll do it quickly. You queue up to zero on your digital file, DVD, or Blu-ray. I count down from three to two to one. I will say go. When I say go, you hit play and it will line up pretty good. Now, I'm using digital files. Um, the Disney XD comes on around two sec- one or two seconds and the episode starts around four seconds. Obviously, there's no commercials. I think all the digital files and Blu-rays are the same. Um, and I'll run through this countdown explanation quicker as well as not having a big intro um, in, in future episodes. So really quickly, Path of the Jedi is the 10th episode in the winter premiere of the first season of Rebels, written by Charles Murray and directed by the spectacular 
particular um, uh, producer, director, um, and creator, Dave Filoni, the Padawan of George Lucas, if you will, um, premiered uh, December 29th, uh, 2014, or January 5th, 2015, depending on how you were watching it. In this episode, Kanan Jarrus and his Padawan Ezra Bridger travel to a Jedi temple on Lothal, where Ezra can test his readiness to be trained as a Jedi. Bridger makes his way through the temple alone and confronts his fear of abandonment and a whole bunch of stuff that I'm not going to say now and will save for the episode. So, hope you enjoy this, get ready for the countdown, and can't wait to get back on the Bizzle, uh, Bizzle's Daily Rebels bandwagon. So, here comes the countdown. Pause if you need to. And uh, here it comes. Three, two, one, go. All right, folks. It is so great to be back with you on Bizzle's Daily Rebels here at Path of the Jedi, episode 9 or 10 of season 1. Uh, one of two or three great Jedi episodes, and they are all the best of the season, as I talked about in the intro. Um, in the previous episode, um, we launched the sort of Ezra looking for his parents, but the big development was him reaching so far into the Force to protect Kanan. He called out monsters and t- uh, tapped into the dark side, almost died. Um, Kanan was there, and it ends with Kanan saying to Hera, we need to talk. And while the season starts with Kanan, you know, not embracing his duty and responsibility to train this kid, now he's giving Ezra a hard time about not taking things serious. And this is a great back and forth, you know, in, in, in the prequels and really all the movies, you know, the Padawans or the Masters seem right, you know. Or that's framed as them being right. Um, now, the Clone Wars is great because Anakin is sometimes smarter or has a better instinct than Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka has sometimes a better instinct than both of them, who are sort of both her masters. And here, you know, Kanan needs Ezra to be tested. He needs to know if this kid's for real. He he knows he's for real, but... I, he. Right, he claims he's testing him to see a, to be a Jedi, but I really think he's trying to figure out how best to teach him and how quickly Ezra is going to learn. Ezra's still pretty whiny in the first season. Um, it's mostly having to do with the, the writing, um, but when he has his moments of clarity and he looks up to Kanan so much, it's really great. Now, this is the first of three times they're going to go to this temple. There's now, there's Ahsoka in season two, and then season four. I can't, I I don't know if I should spoil season four quite yet, because you guys might still be catching up on Blu-ray or or digital files. Um, But I will say, while there are some major reveals about Kanan in season four, there's not really my biggest criticism of season four is we don't get enough relationship between Ezra and Kanan because the beginning of the rebellions of full swing. They really wanted to push being a kid's show. This is great dynamic camera here. We don't see enough of this in rebels. Um, they really push Ezra and Sabine up to the front. It is a kid's show. It does make sense. Harris taking more and more of a responsibility as well. Zeb sort of fades to the background and Kanan doesn't get quite enough with Ezra, but with the, um, well, (sighs) I'm going to say this, guys. I am going to save spoilers of season four until the very end of season one um, slash the beginning of season two. At that point, I'm going to assume you'll have caught up or you should catch up on season four because 
you know, as you guys know, Ahsoka comes in at the very end of this season is a huge part of season two. Um, so it's very hard to, for me to talk specifically about Kanan and Ahsoka um, without you seeing season four. For now, I'll, I'll try not to have spoilers. I will say, you know, having done the previous eight or nine Rebels episodes, you know, many, many months ago before season four ha- had gotten going, I didn't know what was going to happen with Sabine on Mandalore. I didn't know what was going to happen with Ezra's powers. I didn't know what was going to happen to Kanan. I wasn't sure whether the Thrawn versus the Rebellion was going to happen. So I know so much more now. But again, I'm going to save the spoilers till end of season one. So Ezra's discovering the Jedi Temple. It's pretty quick. This is just his natural power. So yeah, they return here with Ahsoka, and then I, I, all I'll say since season four, they return again, and each time they have a different entrance, and they go further and further into it, and different things happen. Now this one is, you know, obviously going to be focused on these guys' divergent experiences in it. The second time with Ahsoka is all three of their experiences, and then um, I'm not going to say anything about season four yet. So, of course, you know, the first test of Ezra was in Spark of the Rebellion, the the opening two episodes of the series, where Kanan, you know, quote-unquote, accidentally leaves the holocron around. Ezra, you know, steals it, even though Kanan knows what's going on, and Ezra opens it, and that's when they, you know, Kanan realizes that his instincts of him being strong in the Force are true. Let me turn the sound up. Sorry if it bleeds through. So, as you guys know, even though I'm a rebel guy when it comes to the original trilogy in Rogue One uh, with Jin, Cassian, and Leia and so forth, um, I love the Force mysticism philosophy and so forth. And I've been trying to develop a book having to do with Obi-Wan and Ahsoka in between episodes three and four, them having an adventure. Now, I predicted that... um, uh, let me just say that travel, uh, non-traditional travel around the galaxy and beyond would happen. And in fact, it does happen in season four, again, teasing that. Um, and uh, so my story is actually coming more into focus with some of the ideas I, I predicted slash wanted um, came to pass. But the Jedi temples, um, something that I really started researching with the Clone Wars and Rebels post Rogue One was, you know, vergences and the fact that certain planets have very strong vergences, either the light side, the dark side, or both. Um, you know, the biggest example of this you know, is on Coruscant, is on top of an ancient Sith temple in a massive vergence that's mostly dark side, which is really fucking with the Jedi in the prequels. And you really have to do research and read between the lines and know, and know your lore to know that that's happening. But that really explains why such wise and brilliant Jedi masters like Mace Windu and especially Yoda and so forth don't recognize what's going on underneath them and why Obi-Wan is so smart. He's mostly off of Coruscant, you know, running into Dooku, running into the clones. And so him being, you know, smart, instinctively smart and kind of a maverick thinking for himself, but also not being affected constantly by the Sith virgins, um, which I'm always making fun of Yoda. I'm like, damn it, Yoda, how do you not know about the Sith virgins? There's literally a temple underneath you from the Sith times. Um, so, um, I, I then, I haven't really played much of the Star Wars RPG and technically it's not canon in the sense of they're not bound by it, but it's based mostly on lore that is within canon 
and it gives a great sense of planets like Dagobah, Coruscant, even Tatooine. You know, it's not, let's put it this way. The planets that we visit in the original trilogy and the prequels, it's not a coincidence that many of them have virgences of certain kinds. Now, the Force is everywhere, as we're told by Obi-Wan, Yoda, and so forth. But, you know, it, it gathers and it, it works almost like a strong gravitational body, like black holes, and it warps time and space. And that's something that's explored really heavily in season four um, that I will talk about when we get closer to that and that I want to explore in, in any books or works that I do, even if it's just fan fiction. Although, you know, I'd like to think I have enough talent and imagination to up oh, here. They get separated conveniently. Nothing and everything. What does that mean? I know. Um, for at least a short story having to do with Obi-Wan and Ahsoka, but I will save that for season two commentaries when I can reveal more about season four. So there's your final warning. I'm going to start talking about this episode. So, you know, what we learn in Rebels in particular is that Ezra, you know, specifically Ezra, it's a mix of seeing visions that are true or based on certain aspects of reality and seeing what he wants to see. I can't remember if we've had the episode with Brent Spiner's uh, traitor or betrayer character where Ezra has a self-fulfilling prophecy that turns out to be a trap. Now, I remember initially watching this, and because Kanan w- was locked out of the door and immediately comes back after saying you have to go alone, I knew this was all a vision. The fact that Ezra thinks this is real shows how powerful the vision is to him. And while we do see many things from Ezra's perspective in this series, at times we are, you know, outsiders looking in, and we know that it's, it's not really happening. We know that Kanan's not going to die. But what's great is because I believe the Inquisitor comes for real at the end of this episode, uh, when you rewatch it after not seeing it for a while, it actually fucks with you more yeah, than initial watching. So I think Ezra, it, uh, you know, sees uh, an illusion of this or just the Inquisitor in general at least twice, which throws him for a loop and throws the, the viewer for a loop. So this is about confronting your greatest fears. I can't remember if we see Kanan's journey. Definitely that when they go with Ahsoka in season two, we see an amazing journey for Kanan. I believe he gets knighted the second time they go. He becomes an official Jedi knight. And actually, this guy, the Inquisitor, who used to be a powerful Jedi and turned to the dark side, uh, has a connection with Kanan that turns into a positive connection with the, the knighting in season two. So, you know, this is a version of Darth Maul's uh, double-sided lightsaber. I- I've talked about how uh, I've talked about how cowardly this is, and Darth Vader talks about in the comics in particular that when you're st- really strong with the Force, you only need one lightsaber. So, you know, when you have Grievous or various characters with two, three, four lightsabers. Now, I don't think Darth Maul with a double-sided is, is cowardly because that's just he fights that way. And I think we're going to see Ahsoka and or Rey start to fight that way. Uh oh. Um, but the spinning around and you know the way they can helicopter with it makes zero sense. Um, but you also learn in the comics, and it's hinted at in Rebels. You know Vader doesn't like or trust the Inquisitors. He's much stronger than them. They're not full Sith. Um, they are dark side users, and they obviously have lightsabers. But we even see like you know, advanced stormtroopers who wield lightsabers at times in the comics. You don't need to be a Jedi to use a lightsaber. 
as I'm always complaining, you know, FN2199 fighting. Um, now he's on the ship. This is great. I'll get, I, I'm not going to complain about the Boyega FN2199 fight, which is bullshit. So this is weird because <clears throat> they're talking shit on Ezra, but he could feel insecure about Zeb since they have a love hate relationship. He could certainly feel uh, insecure about Sabine. He's just a little kid. That's something he might imagine Sabine says, but Hera talking shit on Ezra, even this relatively early is totally bullshit. And he should recognize that Hera would never talk about anybody that way, let alone him. Yeah. So the question is, does he figure out that he's not on the ghost because he has a sense or feeling about it, or he's putting it together based on them not sounding like themselves and bad-mouthing him in an unrealistic way? Here comes the Inquisitor again. So we learn in the comics that along with the Inquisitors, the Emperor has many non-Force users who are nevertheless great fighters and use versions of lightsabers, all which are not only weapons that he deploys uh, you know, against his rebel enemies, but are also constantly testing Vader. I mean, the Emperor is constantly trying to kill Vader in various ways in the comics. And you realize when you put it together with you know Empire where Luke says, you know, proposes i'm sorry where vader proposes to luke to unseat the the emperor you know vader is always plotting against the emperor and the emperor is always plotting against vader but that's what the emperor wants that's what's so fascinating about the sith is you know the master sith trains the apprentice sith to be so powerful that they could eventually you know kill them and take their place but that's just part of the the cycle of the sith um and that's what kept them strong for so many hundreds or thousands of years between the old Republic days and the prequels. Here we go. Do we see Yoda? I think he hears Yoda in this one. Right. He's already positive. I love Ezra so positive. Here we go. Okay. And this is the third time we see the Inquisitor. I believe again this is false and this is so first it was the killing Kanan. second it was killing the crew slash you know the crew you know him having delusions of the crew not liking him so those are two major fears it's interesting that Kanan was not in the circle there you know bad mouthing ezra right afraid of being alone again yep yep letting down my master yep and this is the final test. Now, Ezra's being really honest with himself here. He says, I am not afraid. But it's unclear whether, like from 1 to 10, what are the chances he knows it's not real? It's real enough that he, he has to face his fear. But here we go. If this is the speech where Ezra talks about feeling alive then I am going to start crying because it's one of my favorite lines in Star Wars. Here we go. Here's Yoda's voice. What lies ahead? Ready or you? So he hears Yoda in this one. I believe he sees Yoda in the second time. A guide. 
So, you know, Yoda's acting like an idiot throughout the, cl- um, I'm sorry, throughout the prequels and the Clone Wars. You know, the fact that he embraces the war scenario so easily, he's being manipulated by the Emperor and the Sith Virgin. You have to keep in mind, the Sith Virgins in Coruscant is not just, you know, uh, disempowering and manipulating the Jedi um, in sort of a passive way. It's also empowering the Emperor and, and clouding them, uh, you know, the, uh, of what Palpatine's true intentions are. Oh, yeah, Yoda talks to both of them. That's great. So I'm just going to adjust my mic. I'm losing it, right? Yes, yes, lost. Yoda always turns your words back on you. So what's interesting is now Yoda's been on Dagobah, you know, for 20-plus years. And Dagobah, while it has some pockets of Sith Virgins, like when we see Yoda have the vision of Vader and Empire, it's mostly just positive force or at least neutral force allows yoda to recover even though he's old and dying at that point allows him to recover spiritually and so by this point even though he's been alive 800 years the past 20 years where he's able to recover and get his mind straight and obviously order 66 and the, the near death of the jedi and the rise of the empire and evil forces him to step up his game as long as he's been around as wise as he is so Kanan isn't necessarily facing fear the way Ezra did. He's facing insecurity and indecision and uncertainty, which, which is related, obviously. This is great. The sort of sparkling fireflies representing Yoda is awesome. This is such a great episode. That's the thing. I mean, I love the rest of the crew. I'm a huge Heron Sabine fan, um, but it's undeniable that the combination of the Jedi force mysticism and the relationship between Kanan and Ezra are my favorite parts of the series. And I will just tease that, you know, when Sabine gets her own arc at the beginning of season four with Mandalore, it just isn't written or produced or realized as much as, as she deserves. Although Sabine does have some great moments as the season goes along. God, this is beautiful. So th- part of the criticism of Rebels is it just doesn't have the epic feel of of the Clone Wars, these giant battles and the way the camera moves. Now, for, for the Jedi episodes, and this, we'll see with Ahsoka and Maul and Vader going forward, you know, they're doing great work with the cameras, pulling in, pu- you know, pulling out, spinning it around, but not in like the cheesy, you know, like CW slash network drama way. Um, but sometimes the shots are just too static. Uh, okay. So keep in mind this round gate right here. Okay. This has to do with season four, and we'll get back to this in a few episodes. Um, I don't know if they come back to... Well, okay. I'm going to shut up. Yeah, power, you seek. Right, he wants to make the Empire suffer. You know Yoda's going, oh God, this is bad. This sounds like Anakin all over again. And then he, but as soon as he says revenge and master, he starts coming back to himself because he's like, no, Kanan would never do that. You know, he's a great master. He's an amazing master, right? Anger and fear, just like with the Skywalkers. The difference is Ezra is actually more like uh, Ray and able to come back to himself despite the anger and fear. Now he's younger, um, but he is getting more training than Ray. But as we'll get to with the Maul episodes, when it seems he's going dark, he has actually has it under control. Now, Kanan, 
being a little bit more simple-minded and seeing Order 66 face-to-face and seeing his master killed is never tempted by the dark side. But he's also not nearly as powerful as Ezra. Alive. I just missed it. Yeah. He talks about the sacrifice of his friends makes him feel alive. Right. A difficult path ahead of Padawan, but he passed Yoda's first test. And I believe he gets a kyber crystal here. Yep. Here it is. The strongest stars have hearts of Kaiba. Cheer and Mway. One of the amazing characters of Rogue One, the best Star Wars movie. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing that might come up since the many, many months since I've done these is I've just embraced Rogue One as my favorite. And this show leading up to Rogue One has really elevated it even more. I already loved it before, but again, connection to the original trilogy, but new characters, new stories. Different but the same. There you go. Yep. Uh-oh. So I just reread Catalyst recently, which is the sort of origin story of the Urso's Krennic relationship leading up to Rogue One. And it starts early on with Krennic saving them during the Clone Wars from the Separatists, and so they kind of owe him a favor. And he shows them that they've been collecting kyber crystals post-Order 66. And Lyra, who's very... In- believe very much a believer up oh, there it goes very much a believer in the force even though she's not a force user um it immediately recognizes that those kyber crystals are from lightsabers and from that moment on lyra is extremely skeptical and eventually fearful of what krennic's doing and it takes galen almost the entire book to to, to realize what's happening and barely get away with their lives and of course we see what happens to them in rogue one there we go and I believe this ends. I love the shuttle. Both the ghost and the shuttle are just so practical. I, it's, it's great. Here we go. He creates his lightsaber. I think he puts a blaster on it, which is fun. Because Ezra's small and he doesn't have, he's not powerful. He, it's, he's not going to be able to fight the Inquisitors directly. And so him putting a blaster on it, in addition to really reflecting his personality, it is, is very practical uh, for him being able to defend himself against these much larger and stronger, you know, Sith Lords or Dark Side users. Here we go. This is it. He's not, he's a Padawan. Yoda called him one. I guess you're not officially a Jedi until you're a knight. And so even Kanan is technically not a Jedi until season two. It's different. I think Kanan uses it in a couple episodes and uses the blaster. He's like, hey, that's my trick. Boom. There's the force music, baby. Woo. All right. We did it. All right, people. Uh, that was my first episode back. Still a little rusty. I'm also just hypnotized by that episode. Um, and uh, I'm really excited, even though it's a little uneven from now until the end. Season two is spectacular, almost from beginning to end. A lot having to do with Ahsoka and Vader and the Inquisitors. Um, and then season three and four, we get Thrawn. So while season one is considered inferior to the others, I think it's better than most people think. So I hope you enjoyed that. I'm going to go on to the next episode, which is, hold on. All right, is followed by Idiot's Array, which I believe is the Billy D. Uh, yeah, Lando episode. I'll see if I like this more. Which I used to call this the worst episode. So I will see you for Idiot's Array. And for now, uh, may the force be with you, and the Bizzle is out.